Hello, this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about globalization and its impact on business strategy and innovation around the world. In each program, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on how these issues have affected them in their life, their work and their business. There will be a little bit of history, a dash of economics, a sprinkling of business, and an overlay of personal experience both for me and from my interviewees from around the world. Today, we will be talking to the founder and CEO of Aspira, Pat Lucy. Aspira is an Irish technology solutions and services company with offices in Dublin, Cork and Amsterdam that provides people and technology to transform its customers' businesses. And we'll be finding out more about that presently. Pat originally trained as a telecommunications engineer and worked for many years with Motorola before founding Aspira in 2007. And as if running his own business was not enough for one man, he is also president of the Irish chapter of the Project Management Institute, the PMI. So I'm delighted to have Pat join me on the line today from Cork to talk about his unique experiences and reflections on doing business internationally. Welcome, Pat, and thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you, Pat. Happy to be here. Just to kick off, Pat, um, maybe just tell us a little bit about your career start and your progression to your current position as the CEO of Aspira and the President Stroke Director of PMI. Sure. So I uh, finished college in the late 80s, studied electronic engineering in Limerick, where I'm from. And at that point, a lot of us had to leave the country to get a job. So I went to Munich working with Siemens and spent a year there and then got a job back in Ireland with Motorola in Cork, working as a software developer. Uh, stayed with Motorola for almost 17 years until they pulled out of Ireland back in 2007. Mm-hmm. And at that point, set up my own company, uh, myself and a colleague of mine from Motorola. We set up Aspira, which is a software and project management company. So that's that, what we've been doing since then. Okay, and that, that Motorola plant, was that, that that was here in Dublin, was it not? Was it out in, in Swords someplace? Um, that's right. There was a plant in Swords that manufactured pagers, if you remember those things, yeah, yeah, and batteries for mobile phones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the factory in Cork was all software. So I was based in Cork, and we developed the software that ran the mobile phone network. Okay. And then tell us about your position as um, the president stroke director of uh, PMI. You became involved in that sometime after uh, starting Aspira, I think. That's right. Um, So I had been a member of the PMI, which is the Project Management Institute uh, in my Motorola days. It's the biggest network in the world for project managers. And uh, I was involved really just as a way to network a little bit and and learn um, new tools and tricks of the trade in the world of project management. And then when we set up Aspira, I realized that being a member of industry body like that was a great way to meet uh, other people, potential employees, potential customers. Mm -hmm. So I got much more actively involved then in the professional body of the PMI. I'm one of those people who can't stop myself from volunteering for things. So uh, I volunteered to take on a role. I ran a conference and then I kept volunteering and I ended up um, being elected as the president of the the chapter, which I've been for the last two years. So just handed over that presidency now to uh, our new president, Jackie Glynn, and I step into the role then as director for the next two years, just to, to be there as the, the, the fatherly figure in the background, uh, making sure things are going along. Okay, so it's a nice role I'm in now, actually. Yeah, and, and PMI itself, where does it originate? originate? Is it American or is it UK? Or Yeah, it was founded 50 years ago, October 
1969 in Philadelphia okay. by uh, two American guys. And we were really lucky last year. We had one of those two guys over to Ireland, made his first ever visit to Ireland to attend our conference in Ireland. Jim Snyder is his name. He's the guy who was basically the father of project management. Okay. So it was fantastic to have him over here. And uh, I mean, that organization has grown now. They've over three million people involved. So that's the that's the type of reach mm. that it has worldwide. And those guys, those founders, did they come out of the world of technology or the military or where did they uh, uh, come out of? Um, the original guys came out of a mix. There was uh, one of them was military, one was technology and a couple more were construction. Okay. So if you think back to 50 years ago, um, construction, building new roadways, building infrastructure would have been probably the biggest projects. And of course, you had NASA and you had uh, the air travel industry. Mm-hmm. The technology was really just beginning. So th- the guy who was here last year, Jim, uh, he was explaining to me, you know, he was using one of the first ever uh, computers that they used with uh, IBM and saying it has less memory in it now than, you know, your uh, remote control. Sure. <laughs> your TV has. Yeah. So it was amazing to how things have moved on. So your your business now, uh, Aspira, um, your your motto, if you like, which I, I see on your website is uh, provides people and technology to transform your business. Would you tell us a little bit about how you do that and who you do it for? Okay. So I suppose the the core skill that we have is delivery of technical projects for people. So we provide the project managers, the business analysts, and the techies, whether that's developers, testers, or, or IT people, to get a project over the line. But the reason we talk about transformation is the world is moving to agile project management. So um, organizations just don't have enough people to run the number of projects they have. There's so many projects going on at the moment that people literally can't keep up. Mm-hmm. And they need to turn to organizations like ourselves both to run projects for them and to help them get their own people up to speed and and familiar with what's going on. And if you look at international statistics, almost everybody, 97% of organizations worldwide, say that project management is critical to their business. But when you then look and see how many of them actually do something about it, um, for the high-performing organizations, 83% of them uh, make a special investment in project management, whether to train their people or use systems. Mm-hmm. Only 34% of low-performing organizations do the same thing. So there's this really high correlation between the, the amount of effort and investment uh, organizations put into their project management and getting their people, teaching their people how to run projects properly and the success of those businesses. So what we're all about is helping companies um, do that, figure out how to deliver in an agile environment. You'll have heard Scrum and Scrum Master and these phrases is the most popular type mm-hmm. of agile. And uh, we help them figure out how to become agile organizations. Yeah. I guess lots of organizations, what they're doing is they're manning up, if you like, or resourcing up um, for what they consider to be their day-to-day business. And they kind of consider projects as, as an aside. I'm sure you'll just peg it onto your you know, a little bit onto your, your, your day-to-day role, but it doesn't kind of work out like that. Is that is, is that what you're getting at there, and is that the gap you're filling? Exactly, and not only is it that organizations tend to treat uh, projects as, as add-ons, they often ask people who are very critical in their existing day job to also run a project in their spare time. And that's okay if those projects are, are small. You know, organizing the company picnic, that's fine. You can do that in evenings and weekends. But if the project is something big, if it's bringing in a big new technology or a big new system, well, then you really need someone who can dedicate the time to it and someone who understands the tools 
techniques and has the ability to deliver a project successfully. You can't ask someone to do it in their spare time. Sure. And then the, your services, as you described them, they include management, they include uh, well, project management, as you said, they include development, software development, they include support, and they include training. So in, in practice, what does that look like if you paint the picture? Maybe take one or two examples drawn from some of the engagements that maybe you're doing now, or you've done recently, the type of things that you'd like to be doing more of. Sure. So we work across lots of different industries. There are some that we specialize in more than others. So, for example, energy and utilities, we do a lot. Banking and insurance is another one. So in the insurance business, we're doing a lot of work with Allianz and Allianz Technology at the moment in Dublin mm -hmm. to bring in new technology systems that will let them offer more services to their clients. So that work includes running individual projects and also helping figure out what the requirements need to be for their new technology solutions. Uh, a different project we did was in the healthcare sector, which is one we're very proud of. It was creating a new database and analytic engine for the National Cancer Registry here in Ireland. Okay. So basically, we rebuilt a whole new system that's used to track any reported incidents of cancers and the treatments. And we're hopeful that you know our efforts have helped contribute to making, in some small way, to improving the treatment rates for cancers in Ireland. So I find because we work in such diverse areas, it's in that case it was software development. We built a system, and then we subsequently trained users how to get the most from that system. You can have a big impact in all different areas. Okay, that's interesting. So um, we're going to do a bit now. It's a bit like the um, uh, the ad, you know, for the for the uh, the hair color or whatever, um, and we say. We're going to do the, the science bit now, so we're going to get a little bit technical and uh, ask you about what this this Scrum process framework is. You know, there's some strange jargon in and around that kind of the Scrum Master and sprints and daily Scrum and so on. What, what, what is this and how how is it applied? Where is it most appropriate? And what are the advantages and benefits over other uh, project management methodologies? Okay, so, well, the first thing is Scrum is a misnomer. It was a t like Agile came about... Um, about 20 years ago, a bunch of techies in America got together and decided they'd come up with this agile manifesto, a way they saw of running projects better. And Scrum was the methodology that they decided to, to go with. They thought Scrum, uh, they didn't understand rugby very well, so they thought Scrum was where you pass the ball along to each other and run along in a line, um, <laughs> which is not what <laughs> Scrum is. But anyway, the name stuck. So... Um, if, if you go to your local shopping centre there in the morning, early in the morning, you'll often see uh, at the different shops a stand-up meeting happening where the, the different people in different departments are all standing together for five minutes at the start of the day planning what they're going to do. That's one of the key things in Scrum and Agile. That's called your, your, your daily sprint meeting where you have a very short meeting. Everybody stands up. That's so they don't get too comfortable. Mm -hmm. And they say, this is what I did yesterday. This is what I plan to do today. And if I have any problems or obstacles, these are the problems. And everybody runs through that, and then they go off and do their stuff. And the next day you come back and say, yes, I achieved what I said yesterday, and here's what I'm going to do today. If you find somebody comes back saying, whoops, I didn't get that done, then you immediately take action. Okay, so that's the, the sprint meeting. Um, and that just rolls up. So Scrum, instead of saying we'll have a five-year project, uh, a Scrum project is broken down into three or four-week sprints or iterations mm -hmm. so they'll they'll eat that elephant one bite at a time they won't look ahead to next year they look to what can we do in the next three weeks and they'll sign up to that there's i'm going to use a fancy term if you don't mind okay. pat it's called the reciprocal commitment mm -hmm. and 
I, I think it's useful to understanding what Scrum is because it's a commitment that goes both ways. The techie team are basically given the authority to sign up to deliver. So instead of a manager telling them what they have to do in the next three weeks, the team itself say, we commit, we will deliver this piece of work in three weeks. Right? We'll write it in blood, we will deliver it. And then it's up to them to do it. On the reciprocal side, management commit to stay away, to leave the team alone, not to give them extra work or new work or not to reassign them elsewhere, just to basically be hands off. And I can tell you, as a manager, that's the bit that I find the hardest mm. because it's easy to say that you let your agile team work in a self-directing way, but it's very hard to kind of leave them alone for the next three weeks, you know. Um, yeah. So that, that's a core part of the Scrum methodology that you give power to the team, the people who understand the work themselves, they direct it themselves, they sign up to what they will deliver, and then they deliver it. That's how it works. And of course, it sometimes they run into problems, and that's when the scrum master role kicks in. And the scrum master is the person who is there as a facilitator to help um, when things go wrong, help try to pull in help if needed, and try to keep the team on track to deliver. So it's not called a project manager role, but it's, it's, it shares a lot of the similarities of the project manager. And the reason Agile has become so important now is it delivers value early. Instead of waiting for a year and a half to see, to get, you know, some project delivered to you, you'll get something in three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And you can tell then if, if it looks like it's gone completely the wrong direction, you can go, whoa, stop. I want something different. Um, and you can get clarity quickly. Whereas if you wait for a big, long project, um, it's too late at that point. So... The reason Agile is so popular is that short-term delivery of value. Yeah, and and the application, is it uh, mostly in technology-type projects or could it be applied to any type of project? So this is where you'll get um, debate, right, between people who are, it's like a religious war between people who love Agile and people who are, are weary of Agile. So it certainly started with software people and it is most software projects now are, deployed using Agile. But in the past three years, lots of other types of organizations are also using Agile and see the benefit from it. So um, still, IT technology organizations are the ones who do it the most, but more and more now other organizations, like I work with pharmaceutical companies. Um, There's a major bank in the Netherlands had a complete switched everything totally to Agile uh, in one, overnight they switched to Agile. So lots of different industries are adopting Agile because they see it's a way of getting more done quickly. Okay. And Aspira, your business has offices in uh, uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, so I was interested to know where else uh, outside of Ireland are you, are you working? Do you have clients and customers? So we've delivered to clients in 24 countries worldwide. So pretty much uh, all over the place. The country where we have the biggest team right now outside of Ireland and the Netherlands is in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi. We have mm-hmm. a team of eight, eight people in Abu Dhabi right now that are building out a project in the cybersecurity space out there for our client. So um, we're all very jealous of them this time of the year. And yeah. when it comes to July and August, I think they're jealous of us because it gets too hot out there. Yeah. But um, we're hitting the 50 degrees. Exactly. Um, so from either your point of view, as you view it, or what your customers have told you, how are your customers better off after working with Aspire? So there's an analogy that if, you, if you're trying to help somebody who's hungry, you can either give them a fish or teach them how to fish. In our case, we certainly teach them how to fish, as in we, we 
teach them how to adapt to agile, how to use good project management practices, how to get the best value from their technology. But as well as teaching them, we also try to give them fish and chips so they have a bit more than uh, they might get otherwise. And we find that's, you know, we, we try to have true partnership with our clients, not by just selling them stuff, but by also trying to do a bit more and making sure you're you're teaching them and, and you're leaving knowledge behind you, even as you move on, that there's knowledge left there and, and you have uh, organizations using some of the tools and technologies that, that you've brought in. And it's like we set up in 2007 and we still have all of the clients that we got in our first year are still clients of ours. I think it's it's because of that. It's because you're able to, to do a bit more and not treat it as a transactional thing, build a relationship for the long term. I think it makes the difference. And because of your service offering, I, I guess, you know, projects are, are discreet. They have a beginning and an end. But you yes. have you have a support offering there as well. So is that is that how you maintain that ongoing relationship with clients? Yes, well, we find that if you do a good job on a project, um, it's very likely you'll be asked to come back again the next time there's a project. Like we all know anybody who's had to build a house themselves knows the challenges of coming in on time and on budget. Mm -hmm. So if you find someone who can help you do that, and if you're going to build another house, well, then you're going to use those people. So we get a lot of repeat business that way. But uh, you're right. We, we acquired a company five years ago, which was in the whole operations support space. It's not project-based, and it was for exactly that reason, to help uh, smooth out the, the bumps um, between projects and make sure that we're able to provide ongoing support to, to our clients with their IT systems. And what would you say then are the, the core values of the, of the business, and what's your ambition for the business in the future? So core values, uh, I would say there's a few things. So number one, we want to be credible. So we want to know what we're talking about, be expert in the areas that we Work with our clients we don't want to be uh, you know making stuff up so mm. credibility would be one and um, reliability would be the next one as in if we say we'll do something we do it right i i worked in my previous role before we set up aspire i worked with a lot of companies who would just say yes to everything but then a lot of times not do it so i just never wanted to be one of those companies so if, if you ask me to do something impossible i will tell you it's impossible whereas if we commit to do something well then we will do it that's kind of the reliability is the key thing um, another one is intimacy, which might sound a bit weird, but we want to get to know our customers and know our customers really well and feel comfortable, uh, have a relationship where we can tell them if we think they're wrong. They can tell us if they think we're wrong. You know, you can have a very transparent relationship that way if you develop that level of relationship with your customer. And I guess the last thing would be the customer focus element. Again, we always try to look and see. We treat our customers the way we would like to be treated uh, by our suppliers. And I think you won't go too far wrong if you try to keep that in mind. Yeah, I think I think the intimacy thing is uh, is crucial uh, because one of the core aspects of business is is the relationship, and um, you know that kind of high touch uh, that you get by maintaining a personal relationship with your clients. I think is really really important. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, and it's funny over the years some of our clients have become good friends. You know, so um, it can be at times. I go and meet some of our clients and we might discuss hurling, especially when Limerick won the All-Ireland there uh, as I'm a Limerick man. So my discussions relied, re revolved more around hurling for, than they did around business. But um, I guess that was all, that's all part of the relationship. Yeah. So here's, here's a, a thing I think about when I, when I meet guys uh, like yourself. So you um, started life uh, as a, a training, I guess, studying as a telecommunications engineer. So it's quite a, quite a technical um, kind of pointy-headed type um, uh, endeavor, and then over over the years, 
um, you know, you, you, you gain all of this um, knowledge and commercial awareness and so on, and you become a business person. And then lo and behold, you're the CEO of, a, of an organisation um, that is a certain size and there's all sorts of strategic issues that need to be dealt with. And you, like myself, coming from a, a technical background, you know, we tend to be very good at planning and executing things. Um, but sometimes we struggle then on the, on the strategy and innovation uh, type of activity, which is a totally different type of mental activity. I was just curious about ha- your own experience of handling that uh, tension, because if you're buried in planning and execution, you're not thinking about, you know, what's the business going to be like in two years, three years, four years time? And what do I need to start changing now to deal with that? Um, so how do you how do you cope with that? So I think that's a very valid observation, Pat. It's it's easy to get rolled up the sleeves and get stuck in without being able to step back and take a look at it. Um, I'm lucky in that when we set up Aspira, I have a co-founder, Colm Horgan, um, one of my former colleagues from Motorola. So Colm has been our CTO for the last 12 years, and he would be very much of the strategic view. He would be the guy saying, let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture. So I think definitely... Um, one of the, the strengths we've had is recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing mm-hmm. uh, I like nothing better than jumping into a project and getting it delivered. So having someone there who can you know, say, well, let's step back, let's look at the trends, let's look at the future, maybe we should be approaching this a different way, that's proven to be very useful. It can be annoying at times when yeah. all I want to do is plow ahead, but um, it's uh, in the long term, I think we all recognize mm-hmm. that you, you absolutely have to have somebody there looking at the innovation, looking at what's coming down the line if you're going to succeed. Yeah, I think it's a dilemma that all businesses face and I'm, I'm doing more and more work with my own clients and, you know, helping them uh, on that strategy and innovation side, which tends to be the one that gets left by the way. Um, you know, most of us seem to be good at planning and execution, but not that good at strategy and innovation. Um, and, and it's funny because I've seen other companies who are the opposite. They're great at the innovation. In fact, they're too good. They keep thinking up new ideas and never get around <laughs> to delivering any of them. Never so there's anything, a balance yeah. that you have to yeah. strike and yeah. it can be a tough one. Yeah, they exist too. Um, I'm, I might just take things up kind of um, uh, general, try to get your, your view, your kind of worldview on what's going on uh, out there in the wider world. Um, so say a more general note, the wider uh, economy. So we have this growing uh, labor shortage and, and skills gap that's that's opening up now. And demographically, maybe less so in Ireland, but we are here in Ireland as well, but all over the development world, uh, developed world, we're demographically challenged, so it's not going to get any, any better. So w- what do you think um, is the future in terms of automation, robotics, artificial intelligence? Where, you know, where are we going with all of this? Are we looking at more overseas recruitment? Are we looking at more automation? What's, what's your view on it? So I, I think all of the above would be my immediate answer, that um, we, we will see more overseas recruitment. And it's interesting, working now both in Abu Dhabi that I mentioned and Amsterdam, I see the different approaches that other countries have taken to, to tackle this, this problem. So in Abu Dhabi uh, and the UAE, about 60% of the workforce has come in from the Indian subcontinent. Mm-hmm. So they've been basically brought in to fill as many of those jobs as possible. And it's jobs from blue-collar workers right up to, to uh, professional roles being filled by people from those areas. Uh, and, of course, that brings a whole social dimension to it as well and challenges there. In the Netherlands, they introduced something called the 30% ruling, which is anybody who moves into the Netherlands from another country, I think they have to be 150 kilometers away from the border with the Netherlands, will they qualify for a special tax relief, um, the first 30% of their earnings, 
are not taxed for the first five years since mm -hmm. they move in there. And that's their way of encouraging people to come into the country. They want professionals. They want uh, people in in um, roles that they can't fill locally. And Ireland has a very limited version of that. We have it for you know, CEO types, foreign mm, executives mm. that come over here. But the Netherlands has a, a much wider base for that. So that's something I think Ireland should be thinking about if we're trying to attract in top talent and bring in the key influencer jobs here. We're going to have to, to do something to make it more attractive for people coming in. So we could probably take a, a leaf from the, the Dutch book there. Um, the other thing I would think that we need to do in Ireland uh, if we're going to, to bring in workers is find a way of making uh, accommodation affordable for them mm -hmm. because the cost of accommodation now in Dublin has, is just driving salaries up and is making Dublin uncompetitive. So what I would be saying to the government is pick, pick a region you know, between Cork and Limerick, build a giant motorway, build a, a Silicon Valley type setup between those two cities mm -hmm. and make that the place that you, you uh, use to attract um, big companies from, from overseas to Ireland. And, you know, take some of the pressure off Dublin, which is creaking at the seams at this point, mm -hmm. um, and find an area where we can make affordable accommodation in, in a nice place to live and, and uh, alleviate some of the, the congestion that we have. Interesting. Um, on, on the automation side, um, robotic process automation is already here, and it's not robots that, you know, we think of like from Star Wars. Yeah. It's using software to make decisions that were previously made by people. So now when you submit... Uh, an insurance claim, chances are it's being first assessed by some uh, computer code. And, um, you know, when you're, if you use Spotify to listen to music, it's a computer trying to predict what, what's the next song you might like to hear. So that exists already. And uh, I, rather than be threatened by that, I would see that as taking out a lot of the more repetitive jobs and freeing up the chance to do more interesting jobs. So I would see it as a, as a net positive thing. But clearly, there will be some some uh, growing pains as as the economy stretches to incorporate more of that robotic automation. Sure. And now, as we as we come to the to the end, then, um, do you have you read anything lately over the last year or so that kind of inspired you that you would kind of recommend to our listeners? Well, I was at a, a conference in Philadelphia, and there was a speaker called Adam Grant, and. I was he was a really good guy so uh, after that I went and, and bought his book called Givers and Takers and I found that excellent uh, a way of really getting an insight into people's behaviors and to the type of people you want to work with and the type of people you should try to stay away from so Givers and Takers is the name of that book by Adam Grant I definitely recommend that's worth a read excellent and where can people find out more about you about Aspira about the Project Management Institute you know in terms of website blog social media and so on Sure. So Aspira's um, website is aspira.ie. That's A-S-P-I-R-A dot I-E. And we're on Twitter, on Aspira HQ. We're on LinkedIn and Aspira. Um, for our, the PMI, the Ireland chapter of the project management is at pmi-ireland.org. And you see loads of information there about the activities of the PMI. And of course, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So just do a search for Pat Lucy and you'll either find me or you'll find the former governor of Wisconsin. So okay. you can pick which one of us you want to talk to. <laughs> very good. Excellent. Uh, well, Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I wish you uh, the very best. 
for the future, both personally and professionally in the business. And thanks also to all of our listeners. And remember that if you would like to know how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that work, check out my blog on albalogistics.com, Twitter, hashtag albalogistics, or pick up my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, on Amazon, Google Books, or Apple Books. And keep well until the next time. Thank you.